Hello, and welcome to Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Sarah Hoffman, the Public Information Officer for the ACFE. Today, I am joined by Scott Porter, a Senior Investigator at the Chartered Professional Accountants of Ontario. In addition to his 16-plus years of forensic accounting experience, Scott speaks at conferences regularly about investigative interviewing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Scott. Thank you, Sarah. I've always enjoyed working with the ACFE, and I'm excited to be doing this with you today. That's excellent to hear. Um, You recently presented on interviewing strategies and trends affecting interviewing styles at the 30th annual ACFE Global Fraud Conference here in Austin. What led you to first be interested in interviewing? Well, I think it goes back to when I was younger. My interest in interviewing began at an early age. My dad was a polygraph examiner, and he did a lot of interviewing as part of his job. They say we often turn into our parents, and I guess for me, that's entirely accurate. Yeah, and my fascination for interviewing really accelerated in 2011. At that time, I was four years into my current role at CPA Ontario. My role is such that I do a lot of interviewing of CPAs accused of professional misconduct for offenses such as fraud. And the experiences I've gained from these interviews have only solidified my view that interviewing may be the investigator's most vital skill set. Another thing that I did which further piqued my interest in interviewing was a research paper that I wrote in 2011. At that time, I was taking my graduate program in forensic accounting at the University of Toronto. And as part of that program, we needed to write a thesis. And my topic came to me when I was watching a television documentary on a criminal confession. The police officer doing that interview captivated me. He did a masterful job and it fueled me to want to learn the techniques that he was doing. So I began to research best practices for interviewing methods, not just in North America, but all over the world. And in doing so, I became even more fascinated by the topic and it really opened my eyes as to its complexity. And by the time I was done that paper, uh, it was actually 130 pages in length and we were only expected to do 50. So you could say that I really got it. You could say that I really got into it. And then after writing my paper, I decided that I wanted to share what I had learned with others. So I developed my paper into a presentation and it just evolved from there. And I presented at numerous conferences. And then this past year, I created a new and more current presentation about interviewing, which is what I delivered at the 30th annual conference in June. Yeah, I actually got the pleasure of attending that session um, this past June. And during that, you spoke about the two primarily accepted ways of interviewing, and that was the read technique and the piece model. Could you explain the basics of both of these methods? The predominant method taught to law enforcement in North America is the read technique. And the genesis of read is that from the late 19th century through the 1930s, American police routinely inflicted physical and mental pain to extract confessions from criminal suspects. And when the public began to learn about these techniques, there was a significant uproar, and that led to the creation of read. So at the time, read was actually a welcomed alternative. And the way read works is that the investigator is taught to begin with a non-accusatory fact-finding interview. While doing so, the investigator will look for both verbal and non-verbal cues of deception. And if after that preliminary interview, the investigator becomes reasonably certain that the suspect is guilty, 
an admission-seeking interview begins, which we've often heard to be called an interrogation. Now, there's a lot of problems with this approach, and in my view, the technique is outdated and not suitable for the corporate environment. Also, police forces from around the world are beginning to move away from this approach, which transitions us to peace. So, in Britain, there's been a recognition that the emphasis of obtaining a confession has led to dubious interview tactics, and that's led in false confessions. And because of that, British police officers are trained under the peace model of interviewing, which is an information-gathering approach that does not rely on behavioral cues of deception, nor do police lie to suspects, which are both hallmarks of the read approach. So in Britain, they're no longer taught, taught read. And peace, I should say, is an acronym, and it, it stands for various stages of the interview process. So the P in P stands for preparation and planning, and it really teaches the investigator how to prepare for an interview. The E stands for engage and explain, which is essential for building rapport with your suspect. The A stands for account and highlights that you want to get a full account of what the suspect has to say. And C, C stands for closure and E stands for evaluation. And these areas teach the investigator how to properly close the interview and evaluate the next steps. So those are the interview methods and how they work, speaking obviously at a very high level. Yeah, you, uh, you mentioned in there that law enforcement in Britain has adopted the peace model. Uh, why was that? That move started in the United Kingdom in 1992 when their home office reviewed over 400 police interviews and found that there were a number of false confessions and in general the interviews were found to be poorly done. So they developed a new model and stopped teaching interrogation techniques to police officers. And the problem with these interrogation techniques that we see in both Canada and the United States is that they lead to both false accusations and false confessions. So for example, in the United States, 28% of individuals subsequently exonerated by DNA evidence had initially provided a false confession. It's pretty alarming. And it, it may seem counterintuitive for someone to falsely confess, but it happens. And with the number of false confessions and dubious interview tactics, it's caused judges, the public, and law enforcement themselves to demand changes to how police officers are trained in interviewing. And I think there's two fundamental problems with the read technique, which leads to the surrounding controversy. First, it teaches investigators to try and determine whether a suspect is lying to us by reading their body language and assessing the nuances of their verbal statements. And research has consistently shown that these techniques aren't reliable, yet we continue to teach them. And the second problem with the read technique is that it asks investigators to make a conclusion about whether the suspect is guilty. And investigators may form the wrong conclusion by inaccurately concluding that the suspect is guilty and then the investigator moves into an accusatory interviewing style, which encourages further tunnel vision. Yeah, I can see how that would be a problem. I know that we stress to CFEs to avoid coming to any conclusions before the, you know, the full end of the investigation, because it can color people's opinions while they are still continuing to gather information. You explained kind of why the read technique, in your view, 
isn't ideal and Britain has already moved towards this peace model. Do you see things moving, other countries, other jurisdictions moving towards the peace model? Uh, yes, for sure I do, Sarah. I see the move starting for other countries. So for example, in Canada, our federal police, the RCMP, announced in 2017 that it was no longer teaching Reed and is now teaching a method primarily based on the peace model. And the RCMP announced that they no longer teach investigators to do a subjective assessment of body language as well as the spoken word because, like I said, research has shown that it doesn't work. And in the United States, we're also starting to see changes. For example, in 2017, uh, Wicklander Zulowski, who are a consulting group that used to teach Reed, announced that they were moving away from that approach because their clients were demanding a less risky alternative. And even at my presentation in June, Sarah, I had members of law enforcement come up to me afterwards and they told me that they were interested in the peace method. And one officer specifically told me that his detachment had been in the midst of converting to peace. Interesting. Are there any specific interview techniques that you think would most benefit CFEs or those anti-fraud professionals that are needing to conduct interviews in the corporate setting? Yeah, I think peace, the peace interview technique is on its way to becoming the gold standard of interviewing. And it's particularly suitable for the corporate environment. And I say that because it's a structured approach. It teaches investigators proper questioning styles, proper preparation, and it does not lead the investigator astray with tools that may lead to investigator tunnel vision. Diving a little bit deeper into that, in your view, what do you think are the most important areas when it comes to investigative interviewing? I think there's three key areas, Sarah. Um, it starts with preparation. You need to be incredibly prepared when doing your interviews. You need to know your evidence inside and out. By showing up prepared, you command respect. And respect is important in an interview. You don't need to intimidate the person you are interviewing, but you certainly want to create an atmosphere of respect. And preparation gives you the best chance of creating that type of environment. I would say the, the second thing would be evidence. And, and fraud's an evidence-based crime. There should be some sort of evidence supporting your evidence your investigation, whether that's an email, a check, a bank statement. But the thing you need to keep in mind is how do you use your evidence strategically? And that's the key. You don't want to show your cards too early. Save them for later. The best way to tell whether someone's lying to us or not is by asking that person a question that you already know the answer to based on evidence that you have in your back pocket. And the third area that I think is the most important for interviewing is empathy. Empathy is fundamental uh, to a productive interview. And people often get empathy and sympathy confused, but empathy is a complex emotion and it's different than sympathy. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone, whereas empathy is really doing the work and trying to understand the world from the other person's point of view, even if you haven't experienced that yourself. And when you're facing a fraudster, it can be difficult. Uh, but the thing to remember is that oftentimes the person that you're interviewing is not a bad person. He or she has just made some mistakes in his or her life, perhaps because of financial pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's something that we try and talk about 
within the ACFE and with CFEs and the, the fraud triangle, kind of the, the three factors, the pressure, opportunity, and rationalization. And I can see where empathy, when looking at the potential pressure and rationalization really comes into play. Um, I also remember that in your presentation in June, you included some real interview footage from a Canadian murder case where the interviewer was, he just really used empathy and treated the the other person with respect when interviewing the guilty party. And eventually, I remember from the video, it ended up coming to a confession near the end. How important do you think building that rapport is in interviewing and staying non-confrontational and using empathy? So I think rapport building leads to trust and a great way to build that trust is through empathy and respect. And Sarah, what you just talked about on the fraud triangle and rationalization and, and really understanding uh, the suspect's rationalization process through empathy was, I thought it was a very astute comment. And I try and do that in my interviews. Uh, an example of that is I interviewed a guy one time who was a controller for a company and he had taken over $500,000 from his employer's company. What he had done was written a series of checks to his wife over a period of th- three years. And I asked him, why had he paid his wife? And he said it was for bookkeeping. Well, then I asked him, why did you pay her so much money? And he said, well, there was a lot of work to do. And then I said, well, did you tell your boss, the owner? And he said, well, things were really busy and he didn't get around to it. And he was clearly struggling with his answers, but he wasn't prepared to admit any wrongdoing. And if I had kept asking him questions down that path, he would have denied it all day long. But then I, I kind of changed directions. I finally said to him, weren't you going through a previous divorce at that time? which is something I'd learned from a previous witness interview, and you can learn a lot from your witness interviews. And he said, yes, he was. And I said, well, I imagine that you were facing a lot of financial pressure. And he said, you're not kidding. There was a lot of alimony to pay, and things were certainly tight. And I kind of paused, and I said to him, do you think maybe some of those pressures that you were feeling is why we're here today? And he kind of just paused and, and nodded in agreement. And then I said to him, okay, well, thank you for telling me that. And we need to go through the details of what happened. And he opened up and and told me everything. And the the reason he opened up to me was exactly what you just said, Sarah. It's, It's because I was empathetic with him. I understood his rationalization process and identified that he was still a good person, but he had taken that money because of the financial pressures of his divorce. And this is where it becomes crucial for the investigator to understand the emotions of the interview room. And this is most easily done, as you said, through empathy, trust, and rapport building. That's a really interesting story. I can, I can see how that would work if you, you know, work to get more information and not treating the interview subject like they have done something wrong from the get-go, even if you already have evidence of it, but really try and see things kind of through their perspective and their lens and then let them tell you their story from their perspective as opposed to you know just right off the bat saying we know that you did this why did you do it or something (laughs) something more theatrical i suppose scott that was a lot of interesting material we covered today 
I have to ask, what is your motivation? You have been a conference speaker at a number of our conferences, and I know that you've spoken at some other events as well. What's your motivation to do presentations about investigative interviewing and to be involved in podcasts and that type of thing? Well, it's Sarah, it's just it's turned into a labor of love. Um, I really want to get the message out there that it's really important that together we transform how we train investigators how to interview. It's, it's my view that we need to change our outdated approach to interview training, which is focused on deception, detection, and extracting confessions. And I really think that the way forward is the peace method, particularly in the corporate environment. I'm trying to convey this message to as many people as possible. Uh, since my presentation in June, um, I have booked some additional speaking engagements with other local ACFE chapters, and I really look forward to doing those. And I, I, in general, I just encourage anyone running a fraud conference to please consider the message you are delivering when it comes to interview training. I think it's really important, and we all have a role in this. And I'm, I'm really glad I, I did the presentation in Austin. I didn't know you were going to be in the audience, and I didn't know you were going to write that article. And it's, it's allowed me to meet a lot of great people, and I'm always interested in exchanging ideas. And I would love to hear from anyone listening. Please uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. That was a lot of great information that I know a lot of our members will find super useful. So thank you again so much for joining us today, Scott. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I appreciate your questions, and I, I really enjoyed uh, doing this pod- podcast today. Thank you very much. Thanks. You can find all episodes of Fraud Talk at acfe.com podcast or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. This is Sarah Hoffman, signing off.